Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. You've made it. Get on inside. We've got another special, wonderful guest episode interview for you today. As always, I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me is Kyle, creator of FinancialNetsDude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm good. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I'm looking around. I didn't do a proper cat check. So if Calvin jumps on the mic, that's that's what happened there. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> may have to do some extra editing. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll just make it a listener contest. If if you're the first one to send in the exact timestamp of when the cat interrupts the podcast, you'll win some swag. <laughs> Shit, now I have to open the door. <laughs> <laughs> Who's our guest today, Dan? Oh, we are joined today by Kira Turner from T3 Trading, who got introduced with by Derek Oldensmith. How are you doing today, Kira? Hi, guys. I'm fine. Thanks. Really excited to have you here, too. Uh, we had a really great conversation with Derek. So getting to talk to other members of the, the team over at T3 has been, been something we've had circled on our calendar for a bit. Well, I'm glad to hear it. We've got a bunch of really good traders. So hopefully you'll have some more of us on. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk after the episode. Okay. Line them up. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about what you do over there at T3. Well, I am a moderator on one of the chat rooms here. And th so there are three of us. We, we run a room for professional traders and we talk about all kinds of things, but primarily trades that we find, uh, the economy, what we think the market might do, uh, the psychology behind trading, the psychology behind um, the way stocks react to news. Mm -hmm. It's all kinds of things like that. And just try to educate people on how to make good trades, how to be better traders. Oh, man. Okay. We have at least an hour's worth of discussion just on that. <laughs> uh, before, we, before we start diving into to those things, though, um, I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about your background. Like, how did you get into trading? Like, I see that you, you were a member of the rodeo team. So how does somebody go from professional bull riding to, to trading stocks for a living? It's a professional bull market. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So I did rodeo in high school and college, and I went to Texas Tech and studied finance, and then um, ended up in Austin working for the state securities board. So I kind of had a background in finance and securities, hmm. um, but I never had any interest in trading. And I happened to be dating someone who thought that I should try it, and I reluctantly did. And instantly, I just knew it was a really, really great fit. How did he convince you? So I've tried to get my wife to to take a stab at it because I think that having no prior like bad habits, I think she would do really well at it. Well, that's actually something to consider. I, I don't remember. It was so long ago. That was back in the 90s. So somehow he talked me into trying it and um, it just worked for me. But yeah, I've been in this business for a long, long time. So do you think that the uh, the sporting background helped you with the... The, the trader mindset and being successful at this? Absolutely, it did. Um, I mean, number one, you know, when you're doing sports, you have to deal with loss oh. and psychologically over that. So there's that part of it. And then there's the practice part of it where you just keep working at getting better and better and better at something. Um, and the resilience part of it, uh, you know, it, it all fits together. And I mean, I think sports are great for pretty much all aspects of our lives, but yeah, it definitely helps with the trading. 
Do you think that there's a difference between, like, say, someone who plays basketball versus somebody who does something a little more dangerous, like MMA or boxing or riding a bull? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know about people who play basketball, but um, I know for me that so I have a background in not only rodeo but also skydiving. I did a lot of that throughout college and afterwards. Yeah, that's and it has changed my perception of risk. So when I'm doing something that's actually literally risking my life, suddenly losing money is not quite as important. There's no adrenaline there. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I have huh. I, I enjoy the adre- adrenaline a little bit less than I used to, but um, it's still a lot of fun to me. Interesting. So after doing something where you're literally putting your life in the hands of the preparation that you're doing, when it's just, you know, just a portion of your account that you're risking, it doesn't nearly feel as intimidating or you don't get the the heart rate? Well, if I do get the heart rate, usually it indicates I have too much size on. Uh So I try to keep my positions to where they don't stress me out. Mm -hmm. And, And then I look at it like it's it's only money. I mean, money is important to us, but it's recoverable. Right. So as long as I don't have a huge loser, I can always make it back. What's uh, what type of style do you like to to uh, trade? Are you more of a day trader, swing trader? Well, when I first started in the '90s, it was strictly day trading. That's all mm-hmm. I did. I almost never carried anything overnight. This market is, it's, I guess, lately it's been easier to day trade, but. Um, I was finding last year that I just had to change my style and incorporate more swings and more longer term holds to make good money. Mm-hmm. So I've actually added a lot of different styles in the last couple of years. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's a combination. And, and right now, like I said, it's been choppy and back and forth. And so I've been sticking with the day trading because I seem to do better at that lately. Mm-hmm. So you, you vary your strategy depending on what type of market you're in the middle of? Definitely, I do. Yeah. So how does the, the prep change? Then you're like the difference between prepping like for a day that you're planning to scalp versus a day you're planning to swing or day trade? Well, let's see. I mean, for one thing, when the market's trending more, you can do things like buy breakouts, mm-hmm. uh, either to the upside or to the downside. In this market, I find you really can't do that. So you've got to have levels in mind where you want to buy stocks, where you believe that if you're going to go long, you believe they're going to have some sort of a move back up. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to find those levels and then start building a position where I can trade it as it bounces back up. And then by the time it gets near a breakout point, I'm usually out. And that's where I know a lot of probably less experienced traders might be getting in. But right, uh, yeah, that's, that's one huge shift that I've had to make. And it, it took me a while to get there. Hmm. Are you doing uh, options on the day trading or are you just trading shares? I am doing both. So like this morning, Tesla ran up and I had puts. I had this week's puts and I also traded some stock short. Um, But that trade lasted like 10 minutes. And then most of the rest of the day, I think I just traded the queues. That's about it. It was a yeah, pretty quiet day for me. So today is the 12th that we're recording this for anybody who wants to go back and look at a chart. But do you want to walk us through like the, the prep that went in? Like, how did you pick the levels? How did you come up with a thesis for that Tesla trade? Well, the, well, Tesla was weak yesterday. So as the market started to run up this morning, uh, we, we had already discussed in the room that Tesla would probably be a good short because of the weakness yesterday. But we also don't want to get in as something's uh, headed lower because your risk is you have more risk after it's already started to go down. So once it runs up, um, that's the ideal time to get in. And it ran up, I guess, 10 or $12 this morning. And I started buying the puts, um, anticipating a turn. Mm-hmm. And then of course the whole market turned and it pulled Tesla even harder to the downside. So as it's going down in this market, I don't hold on to things for very long at all. I started covering, you know, once I had a few dollars in the options, I covered some and just continued on down till I, you know, had a pretty good trade. Do you carry runners overnight ever? I do sometimes, but not so much lately. I unfortunately I carried Twitter from Friday. I carried it through today. Through today, and um, I ended up giving back some of my profit today. So I assume that was because the the Musk pulling out of the deal. Yeah, yeah. I got short when I heard the news and had a decent pros- profit yesterday, and then gave some back today. So I never have luck with the news based trades. Really, and so. Yeah. We- we do a lot of news-based trading in our room. How do you time that? <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes we don't time it very well, but lots of times we um, we discuss it in our room if we have the chance. 
And one person in particular, David Prince, is just really talented at understanding news and the psychology and how it affects people. So we'll discuss it between us and then decide on what the trade should be. And of course, talk about our stops and our expected, um, you know, where we expect the stock will go. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of communication in the room and people ask questions, but the three of us moderators are all on the microphone. So we can give a lot of feedback to people. Interesting. Can you talk more about the, uh, would you say the emotions of the news or not the emotions? Yeah. But what was the word? Well, it's, it's the psychology. So psychology. Thank you. So here's an interesting example. Tomorrow mm-hmm. CPI is coming out and there were two announcements from the White House today about how hot CPI is going to be. Yep. Normally you would expect that that would push the market down. There would be some selling. Now I know there was at the end of the day, but this news came out much earlier than that. Right. And there really wasn't any selling. And I got on the microphone and I said, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like this market's stronger than it has been because on news like that, typically you'd see the market sell off and we're not selling off on bad news. Mm-hmm. So maybe people are expecting a pretty hot number and they're okay with it, or uh, or maybe there's some indication that a lot of this inflation is kind of past us and we're not going to have such a hot number. I, I'm not sure what the reasoning is, but it seems like, it, it, at least it did earlier, like the market was actually going to react maybe fairly well to that CPI number. And we did have a sell-off later, but then that kind of makes it easier for the market to go up tomorrow just because it's down more. So it's that kind of psychology that isn't always so obvious, um, because if you just keep hearing how hot the CPI is going to be, you might think, well, if it's hot, the market's got to sell off. Right. But in reality, you know, this forward-looking market is always pricing things in. And so, you know, we're just trying to take the temperature of all the players and figure out where things might go that, in, in a direction that's unexpected. Do you guys incorporate uh, order flow, uh, like big, big orders like uh, Unusual Whales provides or some of the other different platforms? One of our moderators does post some order flow and some of the um, members as well post some things. That's not something I follow personally, but it is in the room. What is your favorite thing to use to, to pick out a trade? My favorite thing is a combination of the chart. I mean, I'm a big technical chart person. Yay. And, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, that's my, my main indicator. I'll look at the chart, but then I take the temperature of the market and what it's doing and what the sectors have been doing. And it's, it's a feel too. I mean, I learned to trade long before we had all this information at our fingertips. So I learned to watch the tape and see how something's trading and, you know, whether it's trading on the bid or the ask and what's the size going through and how do they respond? You know, how do the, how does the market respond to say a big offer or a big bid? And, so I can sit and watch and mm-hmm. get a sense that way too. And, and I don't think people today really do that as much, but that's just how I learned to trade. When you say watching like how the market reacts to a big bid, are you talking about how well it absorbs it? Exactly. Uh-huh. So you can get a straight idea of the strength of the opposite side. Right. Exactly. You ever place a trade like that just to, to try to gauge? No, I have not ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a no-no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, let's go back to, uh, the education part. Cause you do a lot of education with T3. Like what are some of the, the common themes that you see with the people who come to you for like when they're struggling? Uh, I think one of the biggest things we see is probably people not sizing properly. Either they get really excited about a trade and they want to put on a big position or they're scared. And so they will only trade a few hundred shares and it, you know, it's not enough to really make a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. So we, a lot of times we talk to the individual traders after the close by phone and talk to them about, you know, what's their account size? How much risk are they willing to take? You know, what's their style of trading? And then kind of help them develop a game plan based on that. Um, In this market that's been really choppy, we see some people over trading. So we'll get on the mic and say, hey, so and so, remember we talked about overtrading. Let's not overtrade today. You know, maybe go take a walk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever you need to do to get away from your screen for a while. Play some chess. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a really personalized room where we get to know the people. We have less than fewer than two hundred um, people on at any time, typically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, most of the people I know or have talked to. 
that's uh that's pretty good then you got like actual intimate um uh community that you have there i i think if you ask the the subscribers in the room i think most of them would say it feels like a family yeah you know where we really joke around but support each other there's not a there's not competition in our room it's really supportive so most people i think end up feeling um you know free to ask questions even if they seem a little silly or you know get help even though they might be risking you know admitting what their faults are mhm that's a that's really tough. like we never realized when we started this podcast just how big psychology plays a role in the in the the path to being like you know a successful trader obviously we're both still dealing with that now but um well yeah aren't we always but would you say that that's the biggest that's the biggest part of being a trader is the psychology i would think so because it's it seems like it's very simple to come up with a plan that can be profitable if executed properly it's the the execution and doing it consistently and not going off script that seems to be the hardest thing at least that's what my experience has been i would agree with that so how do you how do you recommend somebody overcomes that when they have issues with their own mental discipline well i think probably the best way is to find a mentor i mean really someone who's experienced can help you catch your mistakes before you can mm-hmm. you know there are always good trading books out there um I have one on my desk that I can't see from here, but there are plenty of good trading books that are helpful. That's funny because actually one of our Discord questions for you was uh, any book recommendations you might have. <laughs> yeah, I might have to get back to you on that. <laughs> you know, you guys have a great podcast. I mean, there are so many options for people to get help that uh, you just kind of have to figure out what you want to do and and focus on it because there are almost so many options. It can be overwhelming. You mentioned uh, mentorship. Are you taking any? Any new clients? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm keeping two people in the room. So, all right, she said no, Dan. Okay, well, I did want to ask this, and you can stop me if it's uh, inappropriate. But uh, we don't really meet very many women traders. Like, are there just that few of them out there? Or do you have any that you recommend we can check out or reach out to? Because getting the uh, like, we really wanted to get more of them on to get their perspective of like how they do things, because I'm sure it's different than how you know we go about doing things. Yeah. Um, I have a handful of women traders in the room mm-hmm. that I'm in and, you know, they tend to be really good traders. That's what we've noticed too. But you're right. There are, just aren't very many of us. And I don't, I don't have that many recommendations. I mean, the people that I trade with are great. They might want to talk to you, but they might not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there's any extra uh, like hurdles that you have to get over to, to make it in this field? Like, do people not take you seriously because you're a woman? Well, possibly. Yeah, I think the biggest hurdle for most of us is that a lot of us have kids. Like, I'm a single mom, so I've got three kids I'm taking care of and a couple of dogs and my whole household. And um, I've got a lot on my plate, but trading works because I work from home and and mostly it works because I just love what I do. Mm -hmm. It's just so fun to me. Um, I think the other women that I work with would have similar stories because I know most of them have children, you know, and, and a lot of times the guys aren't the primary caregiver. So it, it, that's a huge difference. Makes sense. And it does seem like it's something that like there needs to be more outreach uh, at a younger age. Like we've been harping for education, like more financial education, like in high schools or even earlier. Uh, if more people could get exposed to it growing up, then maybe more people would choose to pursue it or at least give it a shot. I would agree. Yeah, I think financial education is so important. Uh, but funny story, I have a 21-year-old son and he's got a business mind. And I tried to get him into trading and he was like, mom, that is too stressful. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> really? I can teach yeah. you all about it. Come on. <laughs> Oh man, you got mom has the 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 key to the money printer and you don't want to touch it. No, nope, too stressful. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's super successful what he chooses to do then. Well, I hope so too. <laughs> uh speaking, let's go back to the book recommendations then. Do you have any good ones that you recommend for people who want to learn more about trading uh in general or improving their psychology? I'm going to look at this one. It is Trading in the Zone, and I know we've recommended it many times in our room because one of the moderators is a huge fan of it. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it, it, 
it is a lot about attitude and discipline and psychology. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, we've already agreed that that's the biggest component of trading. But there are also fun books like Market Wizards and some of the older ones. Um, that's one I particularly remember that was just inspirational to me, but I haven't read it in quite a while. So the Market Wizards, I think yeah. a previous guest just recommended those too, didn't we? Probably. It, a lot of people have recommended that. Over the years. Um, I don't remember Market Wizards. Market That was not last week's. So it was the one before that. Really? Market Wizards? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I put it in the episode description on one of them. Did I make a joke about it being about real magic and not stocks? Possibly. <laughs> okay. Well, then I, I won't. <laughs> I won't bore the listeners by repeating myself, but, you know, make, think of your own joke. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, let's see. What else could we have here? I got a, I got a question, Kyle. When, when you got started trading in the 90s, because that's actually when I started reading about trading and bought my first stocks by sending a check to a company with a direct purchase plan. Oh, gosh. Yeah, right? Uh, what, how, what, what, what were the differences? Like, how, how were you actually trading And how did you learn these things without like, because it's easy for people to forget we didn't have just, oh, just log on to the website, pull up the stock chart. Right. So there was Mm -hmm. no internet or at least no internet I was familiar with. I had to go to an office every day. I had to sit on one side of a long desk with, I think there were probably about 12 traders in my office and all men except for me. And then on the other side of the table was the broker. And so the broker had to input my order. So if I wanted to buy Intel, I would say buy a thousand Intel and she would, and I think I would give her the price. Mm-hmm. I must give her the price or I would just say at the market and then she would input the order and then she would, um, it would show up on a screen, like a mirrored screen so that I could see what my entry price was. And same thing on the sell side. And then the, uh, level two that I would look at was all DOS based. So it was like a, you know, gr- black and white screen, essentially, with no, ch- I don't think we had any charts. Um, but that's how I learned to sort of read the tape and just watch for momentum using the level two and using time and sales, because we just didn't have a lot of other tools. When you say reading the tape, that's like going back to like the ticker tape days. It kind of is. Yeah. It's- it, I'm <laughs> guessing it was kind of similarly displayed too. More like just like an electronic ticker almost? Yeah. Well, it, it was just, you just see the number of shares go by and the price. I've always wondered about that. Do they do that? Like, is there a ticker for each symbol or is there, a, is it just showing you everything that's happening at the market at the time? You know, it's, it's a little hard for me to remember exactly what it looked like then. I don't have any photographs, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was so traumatic. You've blocked it out. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was so different. I mean, it was like being in the stone age compared to what we have now. But essentially, it's the same as your time and sales window that you might have open today, mm-hmm. where you see, you know, a thousand shares at this price and 200 at that price. And you can get a sense if you sit and watch it of what the rhythm is. And, and that's all I was doing. And so I just, I don't know, somehow it just really clicked with me and I got it. And that first year was amazing. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll stay and trade. That's fascinating to me using the time and sales like that. Because I think that was one of the keys that was talked about in uh, reminiscences of a stock operator. Like what his edge was, was reading the tape really well. I think you're right. Yeah, I recall that too. So how, like, oh man, how do you, is there any way to like practice that or get better at it? Is there anything you recommend, any exercises? Well, I just recommend having a time and sales window open. I mean, I still use it mm-hmm. and I watch those shares that go by, especially if it's something I'm, I'm unsure about uh, where I'm in. You know, if I'm not really sure I want to stay in the trade, I'll watch and see if it looks strong enough. What are you watching for uh, to, to make that determination? Well, I'm watching you know, if I'm long, hopefully it's trading mostly on the offer. And when the offer ticks up, it continues to trade on the offer. There aren't some huge um, people coming, people coming in to sell huge amounts of stock. I I mean, that's really, it's it's hard to explain, I guess, but it's just kind of the rhythm of where it's trading. Is it trading in between the bid and offer or strictly on the offer, strictly on the bid, Mm -hmm. you know, what size going by? It's that kind of thing I'm looking for. Gotcha. You know, does it drop fast when it drops or does it just tick down and immediately pop back up? Mm-hmm. It's it's that sort of rhythm. It's not really I can explain much more clearly, I don't think. Uh, that's I think that helps. Yeah, I think you're doing a good job. Well, there's one other thing I thought of that I've mentioned to people on my chat a couple of times that seems so funny to me now. Mm-hmm. There be a guy on CNBC named Dan Dorfman, and he would come on and tell a story about some stock, whatever the stock of the day was. 
And we used to be able to listen to him on TV, then tell our broker to enter the order to buy or sell the stock, <clears throat> and then actually make money on the news. Huh. I mean, it was so slow. Everything was so slow then. You could never do that today. <laughs> no. Like, I, I think I remember reading about a, um insider trading lawsuit that was won, or a fine that was issued against a company based in like Chicago, who was trading the instant a news uh, release dropped. But because they had timed it, like they didn't allow for the light delay for the time for the signal from New York to reach Chicago. Oh my gosh. So they were able to say like, nope, you were trading with knowledge beforehand because that trade went through before this information could have feasibly gotten to you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, okay, come on. They had the report before that. <laughs> let's, let's be <laughs> honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you still have to comprehend the information. Yeah. I think that's the struggle that I have with trading with news releases is that like by the time I finish reading it, like it's done making whatever moves it's going to or move it's going to do. Well, yeah, things are so fast today. It's, it's a crazy difference. Mm-hmm. So what would be some good tips for somebody who's having problems managing their risk? Oh, okay. If you're having trouble managing your risk, number one, I say cut down on your position size. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're losing money, I mean, cut your position in half or trade 10 or 20% of what you were trading until you get the hang of it. Mm -hmm. Of course, the whole mentoring thing that we've already discussed is really important. And then um, I know a lot of people like to journal. That's helpful. You can keep track of what's working and what's not. And I find that I'm really consistent in my trading. I'm less, I'm just trading sub stocks. I'm less consistent in my futures trading And so, especially this past week, I've not done so well in futures. I need to go back and refocus on my stocks. So that's my bread and butter. I consistently Mm -hmm. make money there. So that's where I need to focus right now. And um, those would be some of the main things that I would say. I said, what sort of things should a good journal incorporate? A good journal should talk about why you got in the trade, what you expected would happen, Mm -hmm. where your stock was, if you didn't stick to your plan why you didn't stick to it. And then, you know, I think most importantly, you will develop a sense of what you're doing over time. What is consistently happening? Are you consistently making mistakes or consistently making money long, but not short or Mm -hmm. that kind of thing? And if nothing else helps you uh, see patterns and then keep track of things because it's hard to remember a trade you did a week. Well, it's hard for me to remember a trade I did a week ago. Right. <laughs> Unless it was the best trade I've ever made. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think for those reasons, it would be really helpful. You mentioned the, you mentioned the long and short difference. Why is there a difference between the two? Like, why do some people do better at shorting versus going long? Like, I've noticed I prefer the short side, I think, for some reason. And I'm not sure why. I definitely prefer the short side, I think, because it usually happens so much faster. Ah. But it's also been a little trickier lately because when they turn and run them back up, they it's been kind of violent at times. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I've but you know, there are a lot of people that I think get into this business who don't really consider the short side and who only want to trade long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, People who are coming from more of a retail background and they just don't even really consider being short. Well, especially when you have to do it, when you're starting out, you're trading usually shares, right? Yes. Um, shorting <laughs> shares just seems riskier than doing it with like puts, put options. Like it's a lot, lot less risk uh, to open a just, position to puts. You're capping your losses. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I guess we, we know as traders, sometimes you, sometimes I anyway, could lose more money trading the options if I get in the wrong strike or mm-hmm. you know, let it go too far against me or something like that. Um, but yeah, they always warn people that being short a stock, there's unlimited risk. And, and I guess really there is. And we saw that last year with GameStop and AMC, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. That was a time when I was not shorting very much at all because, wow, it, you could just get nailed overnight by being in the wrong thing. Oh, plus that was, I think, one of the most historic bull runs we've probably ever been on. I've never seen anything like it. And and I saw the run-up during the dot-com boom from, mm-hmm. what was that, like 95 to 2000. I mean, it was crazy, but it wasn't crazy like GameStop was crazy this year, this past year. So what do you think is uh, in store for us going forward in the next couple of years? 
Well, that's a long time out for me to predict, but um, (laughs) (laughs) end of the summer. (laughs) Um, What we've been talking about in our room is probably one more lower low. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like a lot of the bad news has been sort of taken into account, like um, stock prices have come down. They're starting to revise earnings numbers. Let's see what I made. I made a list here. Um, you know, we, we had the non-farm payroll number the other day that was a high number and the market actually went up on that number. So it seems like the bad news is starting to be more priced in. So maybe we'll go down and dip lower one more time and then start to recover and have a bit of an up market, you know, I don't know how long it'll last or how far it'll go, but that's in general what I'm expecting. It's, it's almost felt like it's just the mega caps have been propping the market up for so long. Cause I look at a lot of these growth stocks that were doing so well a year ago, and a lot of them are below their COVID lows. A lot of them are. And it's amazing. Some of the small cap stocks, how far they've fallen. Mm-hmm. I look, looked at desktop metal today. That was one of the SPACs that was talked about a lot last year and it's like 36 to two dollars oh wow i mean i remember trading that back in the 20s and 30s and yeah i think virgin galactic is trading at seven dollars now it was up almost at 70 at one point last year or two years ago and and upstart was another one one of the trades that we really one of the stocks we really traded a lot was upstart and it's fallen so far what do you look for when you pick a stock that you want to trade liquidity well yes some of it, but I will trade some things that are less liquid. I'll, and I'm going to talk about this market because that's because that's what I'm focused on now. Yeah. I'm looking at bigger names, and of course, those would have liquidity, but they've got strong earnings. They're known in their sector. Um, uh, things like Nvidia, Amazon, Google, uh, maybe Apple or Microsoft. All those larger cap stocks that people are going to go back to basically, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just less risky. We know they're, they're moneymakers. Meta is another one. Oh, boo. No, we just don't like Zuckerberg. Well, (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned NVIDIA. I'd like to talk a little bit about them. Actually. Um, I think one of the things that caused their price to run up so high was the, the value of cryptos, but with those collapsing lately, it seems like, do you see that as being a negative for NVIDIA or do you think that their lead is so strong in the, their sector that it doesn't really matter. Well, I'm certainly no expert in that in the semiconductor industry at all. But the people I talk to who do work in the in- industry really like Nvidia um, mm-hmm. over the other semiconductor stocks, and it just seems to respond really well when the market goes up. Nvidia really seems to rocket up mm-hmm. well. So for that reason alone, um, I'm going to look at it just for the way it responds. Uh, in your uh, bio here, I noticed it says that you spent some time managing a large real estate investment portfolio. Oh, yeah, I did. So I took some time off from about 2001. I say sometime. I took like 15 years off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some kids and ran a real estate business instead of trading for those years. And it was all mobile home parks, mostly in South Texas and another park in Louisiana. And um, that was a, an interesting business. A good, Do you still invest in real estate these days? I really don't, uh, mostly because the management can be kind of intense. We did mm-hmm. have managers at each property when, when we own these parks, but um, trading to me is more fun than managing somebody <laughs> managing my properties. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wish I had more real estate here in Austin, but I don't. <laughs> Even with the the way the market seems to be going right now? Well, I'm not going to go out and buy any. Let me put it that way. But I'm glad to own some because it's appreciated (laughs) so much. Oh, yeah. Just inflation alone is making real estate awesome. Right. It's it's pretty awesome. I have to say, if I buy any more real estate, it will probably be somewhere cooler than Austin because it is hot. It's so hot here. It's terrible. Yeah. it's okay. So you mentioned in the beginning skydiving. I got to ask, like, how do you get involved in that? Like, why? What drives a person to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? You no, know, it's kind of funny. My dad took me the first time. Um, I don't know what he was. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, he he actually took me for a tandem jump. So he okay. he jumped with one instructor, and I jumped with another instructor, and um. It, it, 
I don't know. I loved it from the first time I did it and just couldn't wait to get back and skydive some more. So how, how old were you? I, I think it was after high school graduation. So I was probably 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I went to, I mentioned I went to Lubbock to Texas tech for college. And that's when I really got involved seriously and started going every weekend. And, um, I have around 400 jumps, so it's not a huge wow. number, but it's kind of a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot to me. <laughs> Do you ever worry? Yeah. You know, I've jumped out of all, all kinds of really neat airplanes, like the ones you see in the movies where the tailgate opens and you can run out the back. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. Others where you crawl out the side door and you hang on the side and maybe there are three or four <laughs> and other people hanging out there with you and you count one, two, three, go, and you all go together. Um, all kinds of neat stuff like that. I mean, it was. Did you ever play tennis on a, a one of those wooden by wings? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. Did you do the county fair circuit? That, that's what we're asking. I did not. <laughs> no, I was kind of nervous about you know trying to land in a certain spot, at a certain time. I always feel like when I'm getting into a plane these days now that I've flown so much, like just from traveling. To like to visit family, I always worry that like okay, I've increased my odds too much now for something catastrophic to happen. After four hundred yeah. jumps, do you ever get that feeling? I totally had that feeling. Like the more times I jump, the more likely I am to have an accident. Yeah. And so there was one time that I had to use my reserve parachute. And oh, um, tell us about this. Well, it just the the main chute which I packed mm-hmm. didn't quite come out right. It was kind of tangled, and I, you know, you don't have very many seconds to mess around because I think we pulled the parachute around 2000 feet. So you've got uh, 12 seconds or so before you're going to hit the ground. Oh, I moved really fast and I gave it a couple of seconds and then I just ditched the main parachute and opened up the reserve and it worked the way it was supposed to work, but it was scary. I bet. So, you know, I did continue jumping after that, but once I had kids, I stopped. I haven't made a jump in quite a while. Would you let them jump if they wanted to? Ooh, you know, yeah, I would, I would prefer that my children not skydive. And I think that they're smarter than that. And so they're not ever going to Yeah, yeah, smarter yeah. than I was at that age <laughs> for sure. How about you guys? Uh, never skydived. Uh, my grandma did. What? Yeah. And <laughs> in, in her late sixties. That's actually, impressive. On a trip to Germany. Yeah, she sent me the video. I was like, you're insane. She must be very cool. <laughs> yes, she is. She's amazing. I, I actually would try it. I, I would try it for sure. Uh, maybe once just to do I don't know. I don't yeah. know, though. Yeah, at least once. Um, I couldn't imagine uh, I would be thrilled to do it over and over again. I'm not an adrenaline junkie in any way. But uh, I am very much like, oh, I want to do the experience once just to be, just to know, just to know what it would be. Kind of like the hot wing challenge we did. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll eat the hottest, spiciest thing we can find just to know what it's like. Oh, gosh. Did not enjoy it, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I'm going to leave the spicy eating to you guys. The spicy foods is uh, easy for me. The... I do like the adrenaline of like a good roller coaster ride. Yeah, me too. Like go into like. Six Flags is one of my used to be one of my favorite places to go as a kid. These days, though, eh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like. I go to Six Flags about once a year with one of my kids, and it's really fun. But I don't need to go more often than that. Yeah, these days I just don't want to be around that many people. True. <laughs> like that's why we live in Peoria on the outside of town. Yeah, COVID kind of changed everything as far as being around people. Well, COVID was a blessing for me. I was like, oh, I don't have to go and hang out with anybody anymore. I just <laughs> sit at home and watch Netflix with my wife. <laughs> yeah, COVID was amazing. I love the lockdown. Yeah, I think there's very few, there's a few of us introverts out there who really enjoyed that time. Well, I'm somewhat of an introvert too. And um, when I was asked to join, so I was a subscriber in this T3 room before I became a moderator. And okay. um, the main moderator got in touch with me and he said, hey, you know, well, he talked to me for quite a while and eventually asked me if I would like to moderate. Mm-hmm. I just thought, I am terrified of being on the microphone in front of 200 people. Like, I don't know if I can do that. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, I have to. I'm so scared of it. I have to make myself do it just to s- prove that I can. Um, and it took me a good six months to not have sweaty palms every time I got on the microphone. 
That's funny. When we first started recording this show like 18 months ago, I kind of had a similar fear of just getting on the mic, even though nobody is listening at the time. Yeah. But it's yeah. such a good growing experience, isn't it? Well, it took me months before I could listen to it. And then after I started listening to it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And then I started enjoying <laughs> listening to it. Yeah, you guys are funny. It's really enjoyable to listen to you. Oh, oh thank you. Where's the timestamp, Dan? Make sure you yeah. write that one down. <laughs> 43 12. Got it. We love praise. Yeah. Yeah, we're suckers. Well, I mentioned you in my room today, so I think you're going to have a bunch of new listeners because uh, I told people they should listen to you guys. Anybody you want to shout out? Yeah. No. <laughs> just just people in my room. Yep. God forbid you miss somebody. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did you mention me? I thought we were friends. All right. Should we talk about some more market-related stuff? Yeah. Let's talk about inflation, and let's talk about how the Fed is trying to combat it and why that is tough for the markets to handle. Like, Why are rising interest rates so bad? Well, rising interest rates, you know, I remember back when the market sold off so hard in 2000, and that all started when the Fed started raising rates. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of, I was ready for it. I expected that once they started raising rates, the market would sell off. Um, but your question was more about why does the market respond to that? What yeah, why does the market not like the rates going up? Well, that's a good question. Let's see. It once you can get better returns uh, with less risk, mm -hmm. why be in the stock market? I mean, that that's one aspect of it, right? If you can mm -hmm. get a decent return on your money in somewhere safe like T bills, it also creates more um, expenses for the companies. I guess borrowing money. I mean, there yeah. are all okay. kinds of reasons. What else? I'm not an economist, but I, I know how it affects things, but. Uh, I thought, okay, uh, how about inflation itself? Like, why is inflation bad for the markets? I thought it was typically, like, not bad for stocks. I thought stocks did well in periods of elevated inflation. Well, I know inflation's bad for me because everything costs more for me. So it's got to cost more for companies, right? Um, then they've got to raise their prices. And then it's just this circular thing that goes around and around where it just keeps costing more and more. But, you know, we. This our economy just kind of depends on a little bit of inflation to just keep everything growing and everybody spending and everybody buying and it's to me it's kind of crazy the way we are such a consumer economy. Mm -hmm. I and I'm not a big fan of it, but that's the way the world is. You know, we can't just buy and buy and buy forever, can we? I mean, we're trying. We are trying. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like. Our government wants us to keep doing that because that's what keeps us afloat and keeps us growing and keeps the GDP going up. And the more trade we have with all these other countries, the better for everybody. I, I don't know. It's kind of insane to me. I mean, how much stuff does everybody need? You, you would think that if they wanted us to continue consuming, that we should be focusing too on producing. Well, you would think that. Producing things that are essential, especially, you know, components to drugs and masks for COVID and all these things that we've learned in the last few years are so important that we've outsourced. Our semiconductors. <laughs> well, the semiconductors are a great example. Yeah. You know, I think they're working like crazy on some fabs in in Arizona, right? And maybe some in Texas, but I think so. Was that IBM or Intel? I don't I don't remember who it was. Um but I, you know, I hear talk. I've got so many people in the semiconductor industry around me in here in Austin mm -hmm. that I hear bits and pieces from them from time to time. But I guess that's just such a huge project. It takes years and years to get them up and running. So it's not an easy thing to fix. I wonder why that is. I assume it's the scale, but maybe it's the just how difficult it is to um, be so precise with the whatever it is that makes these chips. Is it the actual chip making plants that they're producing or the like the silicon mining and processing? Well, I don't know. Good question. This yeah. <laughs> welcome to sure. another episode of Ask Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Need a semiconductor expert. Is there is there not somebody at T three that's like, oh yeah, I pay attention to the semiconductors. Let me let me help everybody with that. You know, I do have a couple people in my room who have worked in that industry, and so a lot of times they'll chime in and give us some feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and we really do rely on people with different backgrounds because we've got such a nice variety. You know, we've got people who have a biotech background and the, like I said, the semi background and a lot of traders, people who run family offices, 
people who are uh, managing hedge funds. We've got all different kinds of people with all crazy different kinds of experience. So usually they can answer pretty much every th- question we've got. Or, you know, there's always Google. I've got a, I've got a good question for you. Yeah. What, what's the craziest strategy you've seen somebody utilize and still be consistently profitable? Uh, well, I'm not sure. Let's see. You know, a lot of times I don't know if people are profitable unless they tell me. So there's that. But you, you can take their word for it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, one thing I do see a lot of people do that feels kind of crazy to me is people always want to find an indicator to tell them when to get into a trade. And, <laughs> and, and my yep. experience with indicators is they work sometimes really well and then they don't work for sometimes or they stop working. And instead of learning to take in information from multiple sources and figure out if it's a good trade, they just want kind of an easy, something that's easy to tell them, okay, time to buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Like, that's not like, uh, we just had this conversation yep. not uh, yep. last week, I think. Like, I want to know what makes the indicator work. I want to understand why it's firing when it does, because then I should be able to do a better job of analyzing the charts when that indicator fires and understand, you know, how to draw uh, conclusions with like why it worked this time, why it didn't work that time. Right. I totally agree. Not understanding like what you're using to put your money into something. I don't get that either. And I think that's just, uh, uh, that's the problem with the industry that, that you're in is that so many people promise high returns with minimal effort. And that's just not indicative of the truth of what it takes to be successful in this field. Like how much time do you spend working on, you know, continuing your knowledge or, or studying charts or planning for the next day? Oh gosh. I mean, I'm at my desk at six every morning Well, that's central time six to, you know, three or four or five sometimes. And I, have my computer on till after hours trading is over. I'll come back and check it a couple of times. And I mean, easily 50 or 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy way to make a living. I mean, it's a good way to make a living in my opinion, because I love it, but it's yep. not easy by any means. You ever dissuade somebody who wants to start trying to trade, but doesn't want to put the effort into it? Yes. Yes. Especially people who have no background, who think they need to make a little extra money on the side. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, hey, why don't you tell me um, about some stocks I should buy? Or, um, you know, show me what you're doing when you trade. And I just say, you can't, it doesn't work that way. You don't get to decide you're going to put $10,000 in and you get $15,000 back next month. I mean, <laughs> there's risk involved right well uh you're gonna have to be willing to be down for maybe six months before you start making money and usually if you tell people that they're out they're done they don't want anything to do with it i didn't (laughs) put money in that account to lose anything (laughs) i know right exactly what would you tell to the person that does want to put the effort into it but doesn't really know where to start oh well find a mentor um, and I am happy to talk to people, you know, I'm, I'll help anybody that wants to listen to me talk. Basically, <laughs> Yeah, be really clear about how much risk you're willing to take. You know, if you have a stop loss in mind, stick to it. And um, just learn, learn, learn. And, and I think the thing, another thing that we've gone over so many times in our room is, you've got to be humble, you've got to be willing to learn willing to admit that you're wrong. and maybe look at something from a different angle. Mm-hmm. You know, the humble people who are open to learning and open to hearing things tend to get better and do really well. And the people who come up with the excuses about why they're right and why their indicator is so great, um, they don't <laughs> do so well. <laughs> oh, that episode didn't get released today, did it? Uh, it's, uh, it gets released tomorrow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Listen to that one and let us know what you think. I definitely yeah. want to listen to that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, sounds like <laughs> there's something in common with you guys on that. Oh, wow. Uh, this is just too good, Kyle. It's too good. I know, right? Uh, that's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, I don't want to, I hesitate to say the complete opposite uh, point of view is being professed by somebody, but that's what it feels like. Right. <laughs> Okay, well, that's interesting. I mean, and, you know, using indicators probably works really well for some people. It just doesn't work for me. Uh, and uh, there's nothing wrong with indicators in general. I just feel like you should be able to understand them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, know what they're indicating. 
Yeah. Right. And I do use some really basic indicators like simple moving averages and that sort of thing. Relative strength mean? indicators. And Does a moving average even count these days? I thought that was standard. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, mean, I guess what I'm saying is I use the very most basic indicators and that's all. Uh, all right. Before we, uh, I think we're getting about time to wrap up here. Uh, before we let everyone go, uh, Kara, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Awesome. Yeah, you can find a description about me at t3live.com. That's where people can apply to be a member in our chat room. Also, I'm on Twitter at Kira's Epic Trades. That's K-I-R-A-S, Epic Trades. Oh, not .com, just Kira's Epic Trades. That's it. <laughs> I'll put links to that in the episode description as well. Uh, I didn't realize you guys, uh, uh, you had to apply to be a part of your room. Yes, because we try to keep it to more experienced traders who who basically don't need help with the beginning um, questions that traders asked, that mm-hmm. traders would ask. And uh, so we have a lot of experience in our room. I would say most people have 10 or 15 years of trading experience. How important is a community in the trader to being a trader? I think the community is huge. If you can find a spot, if a trader can find a spot where they fit in and feel comfortable, I mean, not only do you have you know, friendship and camaraderie, but people to talk to about why you're having problems or to spot trades for you or alert you to news. There's just so much that you can get from a trading room, uh, a good one anyway, that I think they're well worth joining. It's well worth looking around to find the right one that fits. I feel like we checked those boxes, Dan. Oh, yeah. 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 We got a, a growing trading room of our own. A lot more shit posting in ours, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yes. find a lot more jokes. Well, that's right, Kira- keeps it light. Yeah, <laughs> um, Kira, thank you very much for taking the time to to joining us. Uh, it's very insightful, learning more about your style and uh, getting some of those great recommendations from you as far as the books go and and things to to help overcome like some of the psychology issues. Well, Dan and Kyle, it's been really nice talking with you. I hope you have a great afternoon. Thank you very much. Dan, do you want to take us home? All right, folks. Thanks for sticking around to the end with us. We sure do appreciate it. And we hope you had a good time, learned a few things. We are going to close up shop for now, but we'll be back at you soon with a regular episode. And until then, happy trades. Bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.